In Smith, an H.P. Lovecraft podcast where we read the complete works of H.P. Lovecraft. And we usually make an uh, audiobook of the stories unless they are too boring or racist. And sometimes they're even both. Uh, today we'll be reading the next part of the Dunwich Horror. And with me is someone that owns a boarded up farmhouse with something mysterious inside. Art! Hi. Um, I, uh, this has nothing to do with, uh, the story we're about to read, but I realize every single time I play Wordle, like, I forget all of the human language, <laughs> like, immediately. I feel like, even way. words that I know. Oh my gosh, I know, right? I, uh, what's, there's a game I always play that's like that, and I, I don't know why I fucking forget the entire English language when I play it. Like, like, I just, I put down one word. I'm just like, Every what the? F- yeah, there are five little words that end with e. What does that mean? What? I don't know what you worked. Like, Christ. Okay, okay, but, but yeah, okay. That's my complaint. Uh, that's my main complaint. I don't remember any of the English language. No, I'm yes. Playing. Every time I play Wordscapes, same thing happens to me. I forget the entirety of my English vocabulary. Like, I forgot the word proxy, and it's literally something that I interact with every day. <laughs> God damn it, fuck. So. I know, yeah. word games make me feel so stupid. <laughs> yeah. I finally beat uh, the level of, I, I, I've been playing, what is it called? Water Sort? It's a dumb game. Water Sort Puzzle. I finally beat the level I've been stuck on for the last three months last night. And I don't even know how I figured it out. I was just fucking around on it and I figured it out. <sighs> Anyways, um, we're going to be reading the next part of the Dunwich Horror. Uh, last we left off, uh, Wilbur got torn apart by a dog while trying to steal a copy of the Necronomicon from the Miskatonic University. And this was after he went there and tried to uh, borrow it, and the librarian was like, oh, fuck no. <laughs> no, you cannot take it with you, you creepy eight-foot-tall goat man. You cannot take the Necronomicon with you. <laughs> uh, yeah, we also learned that Wilbur like just would have continued to grow if he hadn't have died. Like, uh, they described him... Uh, when he was laying on the floor, uh, breathing his last breath as being nine feet tall. Yeah. Like, damn, there's no need for anybody to be that tall. Um, but yeah, he also, uh, did the same chant that was in the, uh, the case of Charles Dexter Ward for Yogg-Sothoth. Yep. Yep. But yeah, um, it was pretty good, actually. The last two chapters were really good. Uh, I also forgot yeah. that Wilbur dies halfway through this. <laughs> yep. Uh, but yeah, so uh, our prediction is that we're going to... Uh, that somebody's going to have to deal with the thing that he was feeding all those cows. Yep. 
Uh, which, which is weird, which, okay, I understand the logistics of it. Like, I understand the logistics. Like, if you have something big, you need to film something big, and cows are big. Yeah. But this has been a point in two stories so far. Yeah, feeding <laughs> these big, well, uh, maybe the, uh, the Waitley summoned something very similar to some of this stuff that, uh, Joseph Kerwin was summoning. Cause, maybe. Because we know he wasn't summoning completely human things. Yeah. He was summoning some other fucked up stuff, too. But also, like, fuck Joseph Kerwin. <laughs> yeah. The Waitleys just kind of seem like a, like, kind of like an off-kilter kind of quirky family. Yeah, yeah. They're they're spooky and they ooky. They, they're spooky you know? and they're ooky. But, like, otherwise, uh, fine. Whatever. Uh, I did not like Wilbur shooting dogs, but, I mean, like, karma, bitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like I just find it weird that whenever someone says the Whitley, the Whiteley family, they have to snap each time. It's weird. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> he fucked around and found out for sure. Okay, I do need I do need your brain for a moment. Yes, I have... it's right here. I'm ready. Okay. Okay, so I have a word. So T is the first one. Uh huh. First letter, and the last two letters is S and E, and one of those is an O. One of those letters is an O. Those. Those. Oh, fuck. God damn it. <laughs> I forgot. I'm so sorry. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> it's those. God damn it. That's a sim- such a simple word. Mm. Okay. I was not okay. expecting it to be that easy. <laughs> no, I was. I was oh, okay. What? Christ. Okay, sorry, I, I am now. It's okay. I am now done. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I, that is, like I said, that is exactly me playing Wordscapes. I'm like, I'm so stupid, I don't know what this is. <laughs> and then I'll look up like a thesaurus, or like a, uh, not a thesaurus, but uh, like every word with these letters. Um, <laughs> and then I find them and I'm like, I'm so stupid. <laughs> Like, man, is it okay? Sorry, I I got it though. I got it. That's all it's that there. matters. You got it. I got it. Okay, good. Christ in hell. Uh, Christ in hell. He's doing the horror. <laughs> he's right he's now. fighting that evil wizard. <laughs> oh, by the way, if you want to get some broken apocrypha, like the Herring of Hell, which is like just a few oh, uh, verses in the original hell Bible, yeah, like the apocrypha that just says like. Yo, Jesus is down there just whooping ass and describing it in a lot of detail. <laughs> yeah! It's pretty good apocrypha. It's so good. Oh my god. Also, there's that one, there's that one version of Acts that just shows up, uh, that just describes Paul uh, fighting si- Simon Ma- uh, Magus, or Magus. Yeah! Because it's just like, again, a couple of verses, but no, it's just like, just describing him just doing a full-on wizard. Well, I, I, I just... guess it's a wizard versus cleric. Yeah, sure I just, mm-hmm. I wish that the Bible kept in more of the evil wizard fights. Yeah, like, honestly. I feel like I, me as a 13-year-old would have been way more interested if that if they kept that. <laughs> yeah. Why couldn't the Vatican have looked into the future and <laughs> saw my 13-year-old dumbass and been like, we gotta keep the wizard stuff in, otherwise the children will not be interested. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, speaking of wizard, let's let's learn about the aftermath of this uh, of the goat man dying. Well, he wasn't entirely a goat. There were tentacles and stuff. T- anyways, and by the way, somebody has made a full size, like a life size model of what Wilbur Waitley looks like in hyper detail, and it's very upsetting to look at. <laughs> All right, let's get this let's get this party started. The Dunwich Horror by H.P. Lovecraft. Chapter 7. Yet all this was only the prologue of the actual Dunwich Horror. Formalities were gone through by bewildered officials, abnormal details were duly kept from press and public, and men were sent to Dunwich and Aylesbury to look up property and notify any who might be heirs of the late Wilbur Waitley. They found the countryside in great agitation, both because of the growing rumblings beneath the domed hills and because of the unwanted stench and the surging lapping sounds which came increasingly from the empty shell formed by Waitley's boarded-up farmhouse. Wait, lapping noise? What? No. That's gross. I hate it. Just, ugh. God damn, I feel I like if it. I heard that coming from my neighbor's house, I'd be like, oh, <clears throat> wow, what a great time to move. <laughs> not dealing yeah. with that. <laughs> it's not my problem. Earl Sawyer, who tended the horse and cattle during Wilbur's absence, had developed a woefully acute case of nerves. The officials devised excuses not to enter the noisome boarded place, were glad to confine their survey of the deceased living quarters, the newly mended sheds, to a single visit. They filed a ponderous report at the courthouse in Aylesbury, and litigations concerning airship are said to be still in progress amongst the innumerable Waitleys, decayed and undecayed, of the upper Miskatonic Valley, written in a huge ledger and adjusted in an almost interminable manuscript in strange characters, written in a huge ledger and adjudged a sort of diary because of the spacing and the variations in ink and penmanship, presented a baffling puzzle to those who found it on the old bureau, which served as its owner's desk. After a week of debate, it was sent to Miskatonic University together with the deceased collection of strange books, for steady and possible translation. But even the best linguists soon saw that it was not likely to be unriddled with ease. No trace of the ancient gold with which Wilbur and the old Waitleys always paid their debts has yet been discovered. It's just like they translate it. It's just like, I don't know when my dad didn't show up to my volleyball game. It's not like he can move through dimensions or anything like that, and he knows the beginning and the end. He could at least show up. If he's supposed if he's supposed to be all powerful, why isn't he powerful enough to see me every once in a while? <laughs> <laughs> he said he would be at the science fair and he never showed up. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like, oh, okay, uh, we should just burn this and never look at it again. <laughs> It was in the dark of September 9th that the horror broke loose. The hill noises had been very pronounced during the evening, and dogs barked frantically all night. Early risers on the 10th noticed a peculiar stench in the air. 
About seven o'clock, Luther Brown, the hired boy at George Corey's, between Cold Spring Glen and the village, rushed frenziedly back from his morning trip to Ten Acre Meadow with the cows. He was almost convulsed with fright as he stumbled into the kitchen, and in the yard outside, the no less frightened herd were pawing and lowing pitifully, having followed the boy back in the panic they shared with him. Between gas, Luther tried to stammer out his tale to Mrs. Corey. Up thar, in the rud beyond the glen, Miss Corey, they something been thar. It smells like thunder, and all the bushes and little trees is pushed back from the rud, like they'd a house been moved along of it. And that ain't the worst neither. They's prince in the road, Miss Corey. Great around prince, as big as barrel heads, all sunk down deep like an elephant had been along. Only they's a sight more nor four feet could make. It looked at one or two afore I run, and I see everyone was covered with lines spreadin' out from one place, like as if big palm leaves fans twist or three times as big as any they is, had a been pounded down into the road, and the smell was awful, like it is around Wizard Waitley's old house. Here he faltered and seemed to shiver afresh with the fright that had sent him flying home. Mrs. Corey, unable to extract more information, began telephoning the neighbors, thus starting on its rounds the overture of panic that heralded the major terrors. When she got Sally Sawyer, housekeeper at Seth Bishop's, the nearest place to Waitley's, it became her turn to listen instead of transmit, for Sally's boy Chauncey, who slept poorly, had been up on the hill toward Waitley's and had dashed back in terror after one look at the place and the pasturage where Mrs. Bishop's cows had been left out all night. Yes, Miss Corey, came Sally's tremulous voice on the party wire. Chauncey, he just come back a-postin' and couldn't have talk for been scared. He says old Waitley's house is all blowed up with the timbers scattered around like they've been dynamite inside. Only the bottom floor ate through, but it's all covered with a kind of tar-like substance that smells awful and drips down often the edges into the ground where the side timbers is blown away. And these awful kinder marks in the yard, too. Great round marks bigger around a hog's head and all sticky with stuff like it's on the blowed-up house. Chanchi says they leads off into the meadows, where a great swath wider a barn is matted down, and all the stun's walls tumbled every which way wherever it goes. And he says, says he, Miss Corey, as how he sought to look for Seth's cows, frighted as he was, and found them in the upper pasture nigh the devil's hopyard, in an awful shape. Half on em's clean gone, and high half of them that's left is sucked dry o' blood with sores on em, like Ben's on Waitley's cattle ever since Lavinie's black brat was born. Seth, he's gone out now to look at em, though I'll vow he wouldn't care to get very nigh wizard Waitley's. Chauncey didn't look careful to see what big matted down swath led arter it left the pasturage. 
but he says he thinks it pinted down towards the Glen Road to the village. I tell ye, Miss Corey, they something abroad as hadn't ordered the abroad. Ain't I for one to think that Black Wilbur Waitley has come to the bad end he deserved, is at the bottom of the breeding of it. He wasn't all human himself. I always say to everybody, and I thinkin' he and old Waitley must have raised something in that there nailed-up house as ain't even so human as he was. They allus been unseen things around Dunwich, living things. This ain't human and ain't good for human folks. The ground was a-talkin' last night, and toward morning, Chauncey, he heard the whippoorwills so loud, and Colonel Springlen, he couldn't sleep none. Then he thought he heard another faint-like sound over towards Wizard Waitley's, a kinder rippin' or tearin' o' wood, like some big box or crate was being opened up fur off. What with this and that, he didn't get no sleep at all, till sun-up, and no sooner was he up this morning, but... He got to go over to Waitley's and see what was the matter. He see enough, I tell ye, Miss Corey. This don't mean no good, and I think it was all the men folk ought to get up a party and do something. I know something awful's about, and feeling my time is nigh, though only God knows just what it is. Did your Luther take account of war them big tracks led to? No? Well, Miss Corey, if they were on the Glen Road this side of the Glen, and ain't got to your house yet, I calculate they must go into the Glen itself. They would do that. All I say, Colonel Gl Springs Glen ain't no healthy nor decent place. The whippoorwills and fireflies there never did act like they were creatures of God. And they them, as says ye can hear strange things a-rushin' and a-talkin' in the air, and there ye in the air down thar, if ye stand in the right place. Between the rock falls and bear's den. By noon, fully three quarters of the men and boys of Dunwich were trooping over the roads and meadows between the new made Waitley's ruins and Cold Spring Glen, examining in horror the vast monstrous prince, the maimed bishop cattle, the strange, noisome wreck of the farmhouse, and the bruised, matted vegetation of the fields and roadsides. Whatever had burst loose upon the world had assuredly gone down into the great sinister ravine, for all the trees on the banks were bent and broken, and a great avenue had been gouged in the precipice hanging underbush. It was as though a house launched by an avalanche had slid down through the tangled growths of almost vertical slope. From below no sound came, but only distant undefinable fetter and it is not to be wondered at what the men preferred to stay on the edge and argue, rather than descend and beard the unknown Cyclopean horror in its lair. Three dogs that were with the party had barked furiously at first, but seemed cowed and reluctant when near the glen. Unfortunately, they saw this nine-foot-tall person come out and be like, Bang, 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 bang! Wilbur, Wilbur, I thought you were dead! No! I thought your dog shooting days were over. <laughs> like I said, that bitch got some karma. Yeah. Just uh you can you can kill the body, but you can't kill the intense hatred of dogs. <laughs> can you just imagine that dog tearing apart and he that he's like, This is for all those dogs that you shot <laughs> Or even better be like, damn, my dog shooting gun ain't here. <laughs> no, 
They oh yeah, because they said it had jammed or something. Because they found yeah. the cartridge next to his revolver. Yep. <sighs> Karma. It's purest form. Don't shoot dogs. It's kind of like how you don't mess with uh, Corvids because they all talk to each other. Um, yeah. And they uh, and then they will also tell their children about you. Yeah. Don't do it. Just don't fuck around with them. You will find out. <laughs> they're like they're like a you know group of girlfriends. You know, just just uh, it's just talking. It's true. You know? And they were make yeah. they will make your life hell. <laughs> yep. They will learn your social security number, and they are smart enough to read letters. <laughs> 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 This is an avenue for even worse damage than any crow could do. <laughs> yes. Just a crow getting your credit card and uh, spending all your money at like a pet smart on bird feed. <laughs> You're like, somebody spent, this on- somebody spent $1,200 of my money on bird feed? And like they said, and they said that it was delivered to this like back alley. And a bunch of birds were cawing. <laughs> what the fuck? It says right here in the delivery instructions, drop bags in circle of crows. <laughs> Do not be afraid. <laughs> Please cut bag open. It's a little hard. <laughs> we do not have hands. And then there's a smiley face. <laughs> Somebody telephoned the news to the Aylesbury Transcript, but the editor accustomed to wild tales from Dunwich did no more than concoct a humorous paragraph about it, an item soon afterward reproduced by the Associated Press. Look at these dumb bitches, they think that houses can walk? How fucking silly. I know, how they're so silly. So silly, Dunwich folk. Houses can't walk. (laughs) They can't even wear shoes. Ignore all those tales about Baba Yaga. Like that's those are lies. Just don't even, don't even, don't, don't, don't. <laughs> those have chicken legs. These aren't chicken prints. <laughs> that night, everyone went home. With every house and barn was barricaded as stoutly as possible. Needless to say, no cattle were allowed to remain in open pasturage. About two in the morning, a frightful stench and the savage barking of dogs awakened the household at Elmer's Fire, on the eastern edge of Cold Spring Glen, and all agreed that they could hear a sort of muffled swishing or lapping sound from somewhere inside. Mrs. Fry proposed telephoning the neighbors, and Elmer was about to agree when the noise of splintering wood burst in upon their deliberations. It came, apparently, from the barn and was quickly followed by a hideous screaming and stamping amongst the cattle. The dogs slavered and crouched close to the feet of the fear-numbed family. Fry lit a lantern through force of habit, but knew it would be death to go out into the black farmyard. The children and the womenfolk whimpered, kept from screaming by some obscure, vestigial instinct of defense which told them their lives depended on silence. At last, the noise of the cattle subsided into pitiful moaning, and a great snapping, crashing, and crackling ensued. The fries huddled together in the sitting room did not dare to move until the last echoes died away far down in Cold Spring Glen, 
Then, amidst the dismal moans from the stable and the demonic piping of late whippoorwills in the glen, Selina Fry tottered to the telephone and spread what news she could of the second phase of the horror. It was munching on the cows. Yeah. You ain't ever heard some cow munching before? She she stepped outside and she saw a cow standing there and just had a bite out of it and it was just like, this sucks. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Damn, bitch, you live here. Next day, all the countryside was in a panic, and cowed, uncommunicative groups came and went where the fiendish thing had occurred. Two titan swaths of destruction stretched from the glen to the fry farmyard. Monstrous prints covered the bare patches of ground, and one side of the old red barn had completely caved in. Of the cattle, only a quarter could be found and identified. Some of these were in curious fragments, and all that survived had to be shot. Earl Sawyer suggested that help be asked from Aylesbury or Arkham, but others maintained it would be of no use. Old Zebulon Waitley, of a branch that hovered about halfway between soundness and decadence, made darkly wild suggestions about rites that ought to be practiced on the hilltops. He came of a line where tradition ran strong. His memories of chantings and the great stone circles were not altogether connected with Wilbur and his grandfather. His name is so, Zebulon? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's an alien. Zebulon? Uh, is that a biblical name? I have to look it up now. Oh, or he is a, uh, he is a, um, an alien, like you said. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure he's an alien. Zebulon, what the- How did you not get suspicious of him? It is, it's a Hebrew name. What? <laughs> was, according to the books of Genesis and Numbers, the last of the six sons of Jacob and Leah, and the founder of the Israelite tribe of Zebulun. What the hell? I had no idea that that was a- uh, that, that, that was, that, yeah, that that was a, a biblical name. No idea. We should be walking around with a lot more Zebs. Oh my god. Also, Zeb is such a good nickname. Okay. Zebulon. What good fucking name. Darkness fell upon a stricken countryside, too passive to organize for real defense. In a few cases, closely related families would band together and watch in the gloom under one roof. But in general, there was only a repetition of the barricading of the night before and a futile, ineffective gesture of loading muskets and setting pitchforks handily about. Nothing, however, occurred except some hill noises, and when the day came, there was many who had hoped that the new horror had gone. So, okay, I have a question. Hill noises is <laughs> very uh, vague. I know, right? What, what do they mean by hill noises? Because <laughs> from where I'm from, hill noises don't exist. They're just, you know, a thing. That I've never heard of. Uh, before. Yeah, do hills make noises? Yeah, that's that's what I'm asking. Like, because as far as I know, hills are like mostly silent. Yeah, like if you live like depending on where you live in like mountains, if you live like near a canyon, sometimes like if the wind blows through that, it'll make some wild noises. But otherwise, like hills, hills seem pretty calm. Yeah, hills seem pretty Just, chill. Yeah, they uh, they really. You know, they really live in a different in a different uh, reality than we do. Yeah, damn. 
Like, uh, where I live, there is something called Hellgate Canyon, and it is called that because sometimes when the wind blows through, it sounds like screaming. <laughs> that's that's just the sound of people, like, you know, releasing the stress at the end of the day. Not that's... gonna lie. Yeah, same. <laughs> Me too, Hellgate Canyon. Yeah, how do we know? Yeah, yeah it's sure. It's the wind. Uh, it was totally the wind. It wasn't, yeah. wasn't anything else. Maybe that's what the hill noises are. Yeah. There was even bold souls who proposed an offensive expedition down in the glen, though they did not venture to set an actual example to the still reluctant majority. When night came again, the barricading was repeated, though there was less huddling together of families. In the morning, both Fry and the Seth Bishop households reported excitement among the dogs and vague sounds and stenches from afar, while early explorers noted with horror a fresh set of the monstrous tracks and the road skirting Sentinel Hill. As before, the sides of the road shooed a bruising indicative of the blasphemously stupendous bulk of the horror. Whilst the confirmation of the track seemed to argue passage in two directions, as if the moving mountain had come from Cold Spring Glen and returned to it along the same path. At the base of the hill, a thirty-foot swath of crushed shrubbery saplings led steeply upward, and the seekers gasped when they saw that even the most perpendicular places did not deflect the inexorable trail. Whatever the horror was, it could scale sheer stony cliff of almost complete verticality, and as the investigators climbed around the cliff summit by safer routes, they saw that the trail ended, or rather reversed there. That, so it climbed all the way up, and then it was like, nah. <laughs> well, you know, it might have just been getting its uh, getting its steps in. Yeah, it was like, ah, I gotta, it, I, it's leg day. <laughs> Or arm day. Like, it's oh. tentacle day. Or 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 he does that one thing where like he uh, where where he thinks he's in the right area, but then he realizes he's not. But there's a lot of people around, so he just looks at his phone, and be like, "Darn!" And then he walks back, <laughs> just because like even though they don't care, yeah. it does make you feel better. If oh, they, totally. You know, they think. Oh, same. Yeah. Never mind. I get this thing. I totally get that. Yeah. Yep. It was here. Oh, bad news! Uh, bad news. The uh, the the groundhog day uh died. The groundhog died. Oh, uh, I was like, what? T- today, <laughs> like like today. Today, po- Pox Tony Phil. The whatever well, Pox Tony Phil is like replaced, but the I'm, groundhog playing Pox Tony Phil. That I was gonna say. I'm so- I'm sorry. Tony Phil, I'm so- like the like twenty sixth or whatever he is now. Yeah, yeah, I'm just saying they do not have an immortal groundhog. I'm sorry for anyone who needs to <laughs> Damn hear this. Um, it's a lot like how it's no. a lot like how uh, Airbud was replaced uh, multiple what times. Do you mean my parents lied to me about Pox Fox Tony. I'm sorry you're for in, anyone who had to learn so this way. Tell me the tooth fairy isn't real. <laughs> oh, I have some bad news. <laughs> no. <laughs> If the, if the tooth fairy is... really wanted teeth, they could just dig up bodies. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is worse than when I found out that baby carrots don't grow like that. <laughs> <laughs> I had to watch how it's made. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, by the way. 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Baby corn is is it's it's not a separate plant. It's it's they literally just you're eating the whole thing. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's it. I can't. Yeah, I've literally watched how it's made, and they showed how uh, how baby carrots are made, and it was legit like devastated. <laughs> <laughs> like I can't believe it. What do, you, what do you mean they're just carved out of ugly carrots? <laughs> <laughs> it was so fucking funny. <laughs> My mom was like, "It's okay." They're still good. Uh, I do love baby carrots. Sometimes I'll buy them and just eat them at work. Yeah, I, I, you know, sometimes I buy just, I just buy cans of the baby corn. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm so big. <laughs> oh, just pretend you're a giant. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that's that's why I like eating with the, the with the little spoon sometimes. <laughs> Me it... too. <laughs> Some things require a little spoon, okay? I can't explain it. Some things just it like a little spoon is what you need for them. Yeah. Okay. So I'm sorry <laughs> for the bad news though. And this is coming out months after, by the way. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was like thinking I was out. like, is it groundhog day and like like <laughs> Uh, like a week? It's coming out. No, it's coming out in a couple months as of recording. Okay. So, so yeah, I'm sorry. Damn. Uh, but, but yeah. Gosh. Uh, Puxatani Phil the seventeenth is is dead. R.I.P. in peace. Literally, did they before? Which I think we be- means we always have winter. Uh, yeah, winter never ends now until a new Puxatani Phil is born. Until the lineage is continued. <laughs> Unfortunately, this Puxatani Phil was a ace and uh, never had. You know uh, what? I, I respect child. his identity, but god damn it. <laughs> I'll rip to a real one. <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay. okay. It was here that the Waitleys used to build their hellish fires and chant their hellish rituals by the table-like stone on May Eve and Holomus. Now that their very stone formed the center of a vast space, thrashed around by the mountainous horror, whilst upon its slightly concave surface was a slick and fetid deposit of the same tarry stickiness, observed on the floor of the ruined Waitley farmhouse when the horror escaped. Men looked at one another and muttered. Then they looked down the hill. Apparently the horror had descended by a route much the same as that of its descent. To speculate was futile. Reason, logic, and normal ideas and motivation stood confounded. Only old Zebulon, who was not with the group, could have done justice to the situation or suggested a plausible explanation. Oh fuck, we gotta go talk to Zebulon. (laughs) Oh no, Zebulon! He's no. gonna go on. He's gonna go on about how humans are are weak and fragile, and the only reason he's not gone is because a spaceship crashed hundred years ago. <sighs> and we're always like, "Okay, Zeb, whatever. Here's your McDonald's Happy Meal." <laughs> Thursday night began much like the others, but it ended less happily. 
The whippoorwills in the glen had screamed with such unusual persistence that many could not sleep. And about 3 a.m., all the party's telephones rang tremendously. Those who took down the receivers heard a fright-mad voice shriek out, Help! Oh my god! And some thought a crashing sound followed, the breaking off of the exclamation. There was nothing more. No one dared to do anything. And no one knew till morning whence the call came. When those who had heard it called everyone on the line, they found only the fries did not apply. The truth appeared an hour later, when a hastily assembled group of armed men trudged out to the fry place at the head of the glen. It was horrible, yet hardly a surprise. There were more swaths and monstrous prints, but there was no longer any house. It had caved in like an eggshell, and amongst the ruins nothing living or dead could be discovered, only a stench and a tarry stickiness. The Elmer Fries had been erased from Dunwich. So, uh, at least, at least, it's not like the letter where, like, somehow they were, oh no, I'm being followed. (laughs) 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 Like in a Monty Python in the Holy Grail. The, ah. (laughs) 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 But yeah, this is, uh, this is... This, I don't want to say this is spooky, because this feels a lot like a, a 50s horror movie. Yeah, yeah, like a B-horror like, movie. Like, it feels like a B-horror movie, and I'm like, I'm I'm, da- I'm with it, you I'm know? I'm so <laughs> into this. This kind of shit I, I, I'm into. Like, like, I thought we were going to get a lot of more, a lot more, like, you know, dicking around with Wilbur, but, like, <laughs> he, it turns out he's not the main character. Ah, uh, yeah, it turns out uh, a walking house is... <laughs> A house that eats other houses? Oh, shit! <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking scary. It's like, did you know that king cobras eat other snakes? Well, I mean, okay, again, I don't want to get on this subject, but cannibalism is not, like, a real big deal in most well, of nature. I should say king cobras usually don't eat other king cobras, but they do eat other snakes. But, like, when you're at the top of, like, your food chain like that, I guess, uh, I guess that's the way to, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Be the most intimidating. A house, yeah, which- A house that eats other fucking houses. <laughs> which, which, which is, all I'm saying is that if you want to be the top human, you better start chowing down. Yeah, do it. Yeah, start chowing down, you know? But We're- none of the, uh, wait, no. <laughs> We shouldn't give a warning about the soft tissues. They should find that out on their own. <laughs> if you get Kuru a- disease, it's your own fucking fault. Okay, so, uh, fun fact about a show that I like a lot. Um, there's, so there's a show called, uh, Winona Arp. Yes! Uh, and yes. one of the episodes is, uh, I said Krakoa. Kaukoa? What's the fucking brain disease you get Kuru. from eating soft tissues? Carew, uh, a guy found a, a genie, and he realizes he realizes that he's dumb. He's smart enough to know that he's dumb, but like he he thinks the only way you could be smart is eating other people's brains. Oh no! So he makes everyone obsessed with a like a uh, with like a pub quiz and uh, the ghost triangle. And all of them are obsessed, and he's just eating the winner's brains. <laughs> and uh, he, and he's like, he's so sick by the end of it, but the genie 
like he's not dead yet, so the genie still has to follow his orders. Oh, so, no. th- so he just wishes that the genie would like help him pop the brains out <laughs> of the person. <laughs> and it is, and he just names himself. And the thing is, is like he thinks like eating brains is like it's is a smart thing to do. So he literally names himself after the, after the disease you get from eating brains because he think because he's a dumb guy who thinks the only way you get smart is eating other people's oh my brains. God. Oh my god, it's so good. It's so good. I love that episode so much. Uh the only other place I've seen Kuru show up is in the movie We Are What We Are, which is very good by the way. Solid horror movie. It's about a family of cannibals that are discovered when the mom uh dies of Kuru. <laughs> <laughs> oh uh what it, the thing is is like they they so they follow like a ritualistic uh calendar where they like they eat people it's not like every single meal is people it's like once a month they eat a person or on like auspicious days uh and it's all tied to like their religion it's a really good movie but yeah the mom ends up like dying in public and the doctor who does her autopsy, figures out that it's Kuru, and figures out that they're cannibals as a result. Mm. It's a wild movie. Uh, is it like an older movie, or what is it? Is it like, uh, let of... me look it up. It's in the 2000s. We are. 2013. Hmm. So we almost 10 years are. ago. It's a good movie, though. Check it out. I'm sure it's streaming for free somewhere. Oh yeah, Pluto TV, you can watch it. Tubi. Okay. Uh, if you have Prime, you can watch it. Yeah. But yeah, that's the only other place I've seen Kuru. And then, uh, of course, after watching that movie, because I have ADHD, I had to go down a rabbit hole of prion diseases. (laughs) Which are terrifying, by the way. You do not want to get a prion disease. There is no cure, and you will die horribly. (laughs) And again... It's okay if you don't eat the soft tissues. Yeah. That's all all we're saying. Exactly. That's, That's all I've been saying. Exactly. Ugh. Sorry. I'm thinking about all the prion diseases I read about. Kuru is pretty bad. Um, and the thing is, like, normal Kuru is an extremely terrible way to die. You can get an even worse version of Kuru if you're unlucky. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Anyways. Okay, let's get back to this. Do you think this house is going to get Kuru disease from eating the other house? <laughs> Do houses get prion diseases? (laughs) I guess we'll find out. Did H.P. Lovecraft think about that? (laughs) Ah, that'd be great. I don't think Kuru was, like, discovered until the 1950s (laughs) disease. Weirdly weirdly enough, it was discovered by uh, by a person with Kuru. I know, right? Well, I'm sure the people that were afflicted with Kuru, early 1960s is when uh, somebody started studying it. I'm sure people knew it existed before then. 1960s is when it was studied and they were like, oh, yeah, it turns out eating brains is how you get this, FYI. Yeah. So so stop eating your child's brains whenever you get rid of the extra ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the foray of people. Yep. Yeah, 1960s is when. So, yeah, sadly, H.P. Lovecraft would have never known about the horror that is Kuru disease. The, the horror that is Kuru disease for houses, where they eat other houses. <laughs> Damn. 
this this story it breaks my suspension of disbelief because there is no exploration of the diseases that what that one house can get from eating another house. <laughs> there is unfortunately uh exploration of of what happens when a house fucks its uh, cousin house. <laughs> yeah. All right. Chapter 8. In the meantime, a quieter yet even more spiritually poignant phase of the horror had been blackly unwinding itself behind the closed door of a shelf-lined room in Arkham. The curious manuscript, record, or diary of Wilbur Waitley, delivered to Miskatonic University for a translation, had caused much worry and bafflement among the experts in languages, both ancient and modern. Its very alphabet, notwithstanding a general resemblance to the heavily shaded Arabic used in Mesopotamia, being absolutely unknown to any available authority. The final conclusion of the linguists was that the text represented an artificial alphabet, giving the effect of a cipher, though none of the usual methods of cryptographic solutions seemed to furnish any clue, even when applied on the basis of every tongue the writer might conceivably have used. The ancient books taken from Waitley's quarters, while absorbingly interesting and in several cases promising to open up new and terrible lines of research among philosophers and men of science, were of no assistance whatever in this matter. Some of them, a heavy tome with an iron clasp, was in an unknown alphabet, this one of a very different caste, and resembling Sanskrit more than anything else. The old ledger was at length given wholly to the charge of Dr. Armitage, both because of his peculiar interest in the Waitley manner and because of his wide linguistic learning and skill in the mystical formulae of antiquity in the Middle Ages. Dang, you know who would probably know that alphabet? <laughs> Joseph Kerwin? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. And he would have been alive at this time as well. He was also a piece of shit and probably wouldn't have helped. No, he probably would have been like, oh, this is cool. I can summon an even bigger thing. <laughs> oh, boy. I guess I'll summon some more shit. Although, although, like, I, I like how they said artificial alphabet, like, all alphabets are artificial. I know, right? Like, all languages are just made up. <laughs> like, like, okay, and I know, I don't want to sound edgy, but, like, almost everything we interact with, like, that is not, like, a physical thing, or is, is made up, almost all of it. Um, we just we just did it yeah. because yeah, uh, because it made us made it easier. I for... I still love the meme. It's just a picture of a bat, and it says it's Wednesday again. Thank God, time isn't real. Yeah, like like time isn't a thing. Like without the concept of time, it, it would still like everything would still go. So like yeah. I don't know. That's the only thing that makes I don't know that both gives me existential dread, but also like a little bit of. I just remember oh, this uh, another bat meme, and it says, "I fear no god, and I have no bedtime." <laughs> 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 Armitage had an idea that the alphabet might be something esoterically used by certain forbidden cults, which have come down from old times and which have inherited many forms and traditions from the wizards of the Saracenic world. That question, however, he did not deem vital since it would be unnecessary to know the origin of the symbols if, as he suspected, they were used as a cipher in a modern language. 
It was his belief that, considering the great amount of text involved, the writer would scarcely have wished the trouble of using another speech than his own, save perhaps in certain special formulae and incantations. Accordingly, he attacked the manuscript with the preliminary assumption that the bulk of it was in English. I swear to God, if this is going to be like something where he like just turns it upside down and he can read it, I'm going to be so mad. It looks like Sanskrit. No, just turn it upside down. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> oh. Just Why did I hold it up to we a mirror? So much time. <laughs> what? Or they like hold oh. it up to a mirror. It's just backwards. <laughs> we wasted five weeks. We spent so much money. Millions of dollars went into this. <laughs> oh boy. Dr. Armitage knew from the repeated failures of his colleagues that the riddle was a deep and complex one, and that no simple mode of solution could merit even a trial. All through late August, he fortified himself with the massed lore of cryptography, drawing upon the fullest resources of his own library, and waiting night after night amidst the arcana of Trithemus's polygraphia, Giambattista's Cryptomenesis Patifacta, Davies' The Thicknesses 18th Century Treatise, and such fairly modern authorities as Blair, Von Martin, and Kluber's Cryptographic. He interspersed the study of the books with a text on the manuscript itself, and in time became convinced that he had to deal with one of the most subtlest and most ingenious of cryptograms in which many separate lists of corresponding letters are arranged like the multiplications table, and the message built up with arbitrary keywords known only to the initiated. The older authorities seemed rather more helpful than the newer ones, and Armitage concluded that the code of the manuscript was one of great antiquity, no doubt handed down through a long line of mystical experimenters. Several times he seemed near daylight, only to be set back by some unforeseen obstacle. Then, as September approached, the clouds began to clear. Certain letters, as used in certain parts of the manuscript, emerged definitely and unmistakably, and it became obvious that the text was indeed in English. On the evening of September 2nd, the last major barrier gave way and Dr. Armitage read for the first time in a continuous passage of Wilbur Waitley's Annals. It was, in truth, a diary, as all had thought, and it was couched in a style clearly shewing the mixed occult erudations and general illiteracy of the strange being who wrote it. Almost the first long passage that Armitage deciphered, an entry dated November 26, 1916, proved highly startling and disquieting. It was written, he remembered, by a child of three and a half who looked like a lad of twelve or thirteen. So, um, the the a language they're about to mention is a language that was mentioned by um, author uh, Mansion in his oh the great god Pan no nineteen ninety uh, nine short story the white people a tale greatly admired by. Uh, Lovecraft. Oh, uh, Machen also wrote The Great God Pan. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, the white people. The white people. Them white yeah. people. Which uh, is why, which is why Lovecraft loved it so much, be like, oh, my people. Aklo is also used, uh, in, uh, Dungeons <coughs> and Dragons and Pathfinder. 
it's yep. it's it's also what fish people speak. <laughs> it's typically what anything that lives in underwater speaks. Yep. Today learned the aklo for the Sabbath, it ran, which did not like it being unanswerable from the hill and not from the air. That upstairs more ahead of me than I had thought it would be, and it's not like to have much earth brain. Saw Elam Hutchins collie Jack when he went to bite me, and Elm said he would kill me if he dast. I guess he won't. Grandfather kept me saying the dough formula last night, and I think I saw the inner city at the two magnetic poles. I shall go to those poles when the earth is cleared off. If I can't break through the Dohana formula, then I commit it. They from the air told me at Sabbath that it will be years before I can clear off the earth. And I guess Grandfather will be dead then. So I shall have to learn with all the angles of the planes and all the formulas between the year and girth. They from outside will help, but they cannot take body without human blood. That upstairs looks... It will have to be right cast. I can see it a little when I take the verish sign or blow the powder of Ibn Ghazi at it. And it is near like them at May Eve on the hill. The other face may wear off some. I wonder how it shall look when the earth is cleared and there are no earth beings on it. He that came with the Aklo Sabbath said I may be transfigured, there being much of the outside to work on. Ugh. Yeah, fuck these Earth people. Yeah, exactly. I feel like they all—they—they don't—they they don't even know my dad, and they think he's weird. Yeah, whatever. He's cool. I mean, he didn't come to my science fair, but he's—he's de- he's definitely cool. This—that <laughs> makes me think of. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember what the clip is from, but it's Pete Davidson. He's like, "Oh, that's cool. You have a kid." And she, he's like talking to the She's like, "Yeah." And he's like, "And you have a dad." What's that like? <laughs> I'm like, oh, fuck. Pete Davidson, your father died in 9-11. <laughs> Morning. Oh, my God. Do you think Wilbur Waitley had daddy issues? Oh, definitely. Oh, for sure. For sure. Like, he, he's just like, anytime someone wanted to make fun of him, would be like, my dad could beat you up. And they're just like, what dad? <laughs> and he's like... <laughs> He's in our house, but I can't tell you about it. He went to he went to get milk, and he'll be back. I promise. <laughs> Morning found Doctor Armitage in a cold sweat of terror and frenzy of wakeful concentration. He had not left the manuscript all night, but sat at his table under the electric light, turning page after page and shaking hands as fast as he could to decipher the cryptic text. He had nervously telephoned his wife he would not be home, and when she brought him breakfast from the house, he could scarcely dispose of a mouthful. All that day he read on, now and then halted maddeningly, as a reapplication of the complex key became necessary. Lunch and dinner were brought to him, but he ate only the smallest fraction of either. Toward the middle of the next night, he drowsed off in his chair, but soon woke out of a tangle of nightmares almost as hideous as the truths and menaces to man's existence that he had uncovered. On the morning of September 4th, Professor Rice and Dr. Morgan insisted on seeing him for a while, and departed trembling and ashen gray. That evening he went to bed, but slept only fitfully. 
Wednesday, the next day, he was back at the manuscript and began to take copious notes both from the current sections and from those he had already deciphered. In the small hours of that night, he slept a little in an easy chair in his office, but was at the manuscript again before dawn. Some time before noonish, his physician, Dr. Hartwell, called him to see him and insisted that he cease work. He refused, intimidating that it was one of the most vital importance for him to complete the reading of the diary, and promising an explanation due course of time. I like how he's like, hey guys, want to see this fucked up thing? <laughs> to his friends. <laughs> you guys already saw another fucked up thing. You want to see another fucked up thing? <laughs> If that's not being friends with somebody, I don't know what is. Exactly. Showing each other some cursed shit. Uh, that evening, just as twilight fell, he finished his terrible perusal and sank back exhausted. His wife, bringing his dinner, found him in a half-comatose state, but he was conscious enough to warn her off with a sharp cry when he saw her eyes wander toward the notes he had taken. Weakly rising, he gathered up the scribbled papers and sealed them all in a great envelope, which he immediately placed in his inside coat pocket. He had sufficient strength to get home, but was so clearly in need of medical aid that Dr. Hartwell was summoned at once. As the doctor put him to bed, he could only mutter over and over again, But what, in God's name, can we do? Dr. Armitage slept, but was partly delirious the next day. He made no explanations to Hartwell, but in his calmer moments spoke of the imperative need of a long conference with Rice and Morgan. His wilder wanderings were very startling indeed, including frantic appeals that something in a brought-up farmhouse be destroyed, and fantastic references to some plan for the extirpation of the entire human race and all animal and vegetable life from Earth by some terrible elder race of beings from another dimension. He would shout that the world was in danger since the elder things wished to strip it and drag it away from the solar system and cosmos of matter into some other plane or phase of entity from which it had once fallen. Vigintillions of aeons ago, and other times he would call for the dreaded Necronomicon and the demon Nalatreia of Remigius, in which he seemed hopeful of finding some formula to check the peril he conjured up. I'm going to be real honest. Uh huh. I would not want to be around that guy. It'd be a little unnerving. <laughs> Just a little bit. There's, uh, they, they're going to strip our world of life and they're dragging away. It's like, yeah, so do we, whatever. <coughs> oh, we're already planning on doing that right now, have you? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> In fact, we're, humans are doing it a lot better and a lot quicker. Yeah, the great old ones show up. They're like, fuck, I wanted that stuff. <laughs> it's already gone. <sighs> stop them, stop them, he would shout. Those Waitleys meant to let them in. And the worst of all is left. Tell Rice and Morgan we must do something. It's a blind business, but I know to make the powder. It hasn't been fed since the 2nd of August, when Wilbur came here to his death. At that rate. But Armitage had a sound physique, despite his 70 years, and slept off his disorder that night without developing any real fever. He woke late Friday, clear of head, though sober with a gnawing fear and tremendous sense of responsibility. 
Saturday afternoon, he felt able to go over to the library and summon Rice and Morgan for a conference. In the rest of that day and evening, the three men tortured their brains in the wildest speculations and the most desperate debate. Strange and terrible books were drawn voluminously from the stacked shelves and from the secure places of storage, and diagrams and formulae were copied with feverish haste and in bewildering abundance. Of skepticism there was none. All three had seen the body of Wilbur Waitley as it lay on the floor in a room of that very building. And after that, not one of them can feel even slightly inclined to treat the diary as a madman's raving. Opinions were divided as to notifying the Massachusetts State Police. And the negative finally won. There were things involved which simply could not be believed by those who had not seen a sample as indeed was made clear during certain subsequent investigations. Late at night, the conference disbanded without having developed a definite plan, but all day Sunday, Armitage was busy comparing formulae and mixing chemicals obtained from the college laboratory. The more he reflected on the hellish diary, the more he was inclined to doubt the efficacy of any material agent in stapping out the entity which Wilbur Waitley had left behind him. The earth-threatening entity, which unknown to him, was to burst forth in a few hours and become the memorable Dunwich Horror. Monday was a repetition of Sunday, with Armitage, for the task in hand, required an affinity of research and experiment. Further consultations of the monstrous diary brought about various changes of plan, and he knew that even in the end, large amounts of uncertainty must remain. By Tuesday, he had a definite line of action mapped out, and believed he would try a trip to Dunwich within a week. Then, on Wednesday, the great shock came. Tucked obscurely in a corner of the Arkham Advertiser was a facetious little item from the Associated Press, telling what a record-breaking monster the bootleg whiskey of Dunwich had raised up. Armitage, half-stunned, could only telephone for Rice and Morgan. Far into the night they discussed, and the next day was a whirlwind of preparation on the part of them all. Armitage knew he would be meddling with terrible powers, yet saw that there was no other way to annul the deep and more malign meddling which others had done before him. And that's where we'll stop today. Yeah, so, um, it's weird seeing him mention the Associated Press. I don't know why it's weird, I know, but it is. I forgot that it's that old, the Associated Press. Yeah, it's been around for a while. But damn. Uh, also, this is definitely, Dr. Armitage is definitely in the Arkham Horror game. Okay, that's good to know. Um, I think he's just, I think he's just called the Professor, but if you read his card, it tells you everything. Okay, well, well yeah, this one, uh, this is a pretty good, this is pretty, pretty good, uh, section we read here. Yeah. Damn, things are heating up. I did like that they did pull it back for a second, just to go over... Like, Dr. Armitage, because I was like, where is that guy? What's he doing? <laughs> well, it turns out he's, uh, having a little, having, not having a good one. No, not having a great time, in fact. Having a very bad time, if anything. <laughs> yeah. Oof. All right, well, um, yeah, I'm excited to learn more. I'm also glad that we were right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Um. Well, do you have any other thoughts? No, not really. Okay. Me neither. 
Uh, do you have anything you want to plug? Not really, honestly. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, this has been over in Smith. And remember, you are the irreplaceable gash in reality. Your keening static howl is like no other. And if it faded from the abyss, the void that would remain would be unfillable. And the mansions of silence were forever fill with our lament. Okay, bye! Bye! Pictures of patron saints up on my wall To remind me that I am a fool Tell me where I came from What I will always be Just a spoiled little kid Who went to Catholic school when I'm dead, I won't join their ranks Cause they are both holy and free And I'm in Ohio, satanic and chained up And until the end, that's how it'll be I said, make me love myself So that I might love you don't make me a liar, cause I swear to God When I said it, I thought it was true St. Calvin told me not to worry about you But he's got his own things to deal with There's really just one thing that we have in common Neither of us will be missed St. Bernard sits at the top of the driveway You always said how you love dogs I don't know if I count But I'm trying my best When I'm howling and barking these songs